Welcome to Dwight's Wine, your window to the wide world of wine. I'm Dwight Casimir. In this episode, we visit one of Napa Valley's premier and historic wineries, Louis M. Martini. Michael Eddy is director of winemaking, as is the first person without the Martini name to hold that position. Louis M. Martini is known for its Cabernet Sauvignon, which is one of California's premier grape varieties, and Louis Martini cabs are coveted by wine lovers all over the world. I have a few in my collection as well. Michael Eddy is head of the expert team that creates these beautiful award-winning wines. And Michael, I want to welcome you to Dwight's Wine. It's a pleasure to have you. Oh, thank you so much, Dwight. It's great to be here. There are uh, certainly worse ways to spend uh, part of a beautiful Friday afternoon. So glad, glad to be with you. Well, I'm looking at the backdrop and I'm just mentally transferring myself there. So uh, if I get a little dreamy eyed, uh, don't mind it. Well, uh, Louis M. Martini is one of the first historic Napa Valley wineries. It was established right after Prohibition, a lot of history there. So tell us a little bit about it. Well, you know, it really is a great story how we came to be as a winery because our founder, Louis M., uh, came over at the very young age of 13 from Italy all by himself to join his father in the Bay Area. Uh, his, his father was actually a fisherman. And ultimately, uh, I think Louis M. crafted what is one of these great examples of the American dream. He pursued his own passion rather than follow his family's business and got into the, the wine industry. Made wine throughout California, but ultimately landed in 1933 in the heart of Napa Valley in St. Helena, where he built the winery that we're still in today. Um, so pretty fantastic story. Ultimately handed it over to his son, Louis P. Martini, um, who then handed it to his son, Mike Martini, who I spent uh, about a decade working with. Wow. Well, you know, uh, you have such a history with the winery yourself. You started there, wow, almost like 20 years ago. I mean, it was yeah. quite a long history. Yes. Yeah. I first started working with Mike uh, in 2005. So it's been quite some time now. Wow. Tell me about that. Well, I, uh, I grew up in Southern California and I wasn't really in a wine family. My parents drank wine, but not frequently. And, uh, but I always had some intrigue for it, but, but was very interested in food from a very, very young age. And so I worked in a restaurant while I was getting my undergrad degree in uh, biology and was planning on becoming a high school biology teacher, but started homebrewing beer. And that's kind of the point where the science that I was studying suddenly had a, an application that was something I was passionate about, food and beverages, and yeah. started homebrewing beer. And that really got that, you know, interest in fermentation science and ended up going to get my master's degree from UC Davis. Um, and kind of the rest is history. Came out to Beaulieu Vineyard was my first winery out of school, also in Napa Valley, founded in the 30s. So some interesting circles and returns there. Well, speaking of circles, you mentioned UC Davis. It's important to note that the Martini name is enshrined at uh, UC Davis in terms of the Louis P. Martini Endowment for Viticulture and Enology Research that was established at UC Davis in 1994. And that was a, just another landmark achievement for the winery. Um, in 2017, I, I remember, you had the uh, 2013 lot number one Cabernet Sauvignon awarded a hundred perfect point score by Robert Parker, the gold standard, as far as I know, in, uh, in wine. It's like winning the Oscars. It absolutely is. Yeah. And uh, it was, it was quite an honor at, of course, no pressure after that, right? There's nowhere to go, go but down after a hundred pointers. So. <laughs> <laughs> Carrying that can be a little tough, but um, 
you know, I have to be honest, a lot of credit needs to be given to the vintage for that score. 2013 was really a remarkable vintage. It was one of those vintages where we could taste the quality in the fruit and then we put the fruit in the fermenter. And I remember tasting the fermenters and thinking, oh my goodness, this is gonna be a monstrous, concentrated, huge vintage. So a lot of credit goes to that. Um, but we also have some great tools in the winery to, to craft that lot one in our micro winery, Cellar 254. Well, Louis Martini is known for wines that come from some really famous vineyards in California, not only Napa, but Sonoma as well. And uh, we're going to be talking about some of those uh, vineyards. In fact, the most celebrated, Monte Rosso, which is where uh, that, I think that was the first vineyard that uh, Louis Martini bought when he uh, first began the winery. So we're going to talk about that and we're going to taste out some of the wines. I know everybody's been waiting to do it. I know I have. And you, you look like you could use a glass right it's now. It's Friday afternoon. Fine. Why not? Yes. <laughs> All right. Let's do it. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to Dwight's Wine, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes in the wide world of wine. I'm Dwight Casimir. And our guest today is Michael Eddy, winemaker at Louis M. Martini Winery in Napa Valley. It's one of the oldest and most historic wineries in California. In fact, it started right after Prohibition. And Michael is the first person to hold that position whose name is not Martini. So tell me a little bit more about the significance in your relationship with uh, Michael Martini when you were working with him. That had to be a, a heck of an experience, like walking in the footsteps of history. Uh, it is. It, it actually, you know, it, psychologists talk a lot about how uh, having purpose and meaning in your life really makes you a happier person. And I know for me, being connected to a story that is something greater than what I am doing today is very meaningful and inspiring to what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, I certainly don't feel like a family member, but I do feel connected and a part of the story and the evolution of the Martini family. So it's quite special. And I've learned things from every winemaker I've worked with, but um, Mike definitely taught me a number of things uh, over the years that we worked together. It was a great experience. Great. Well, you sent out some of the wines for me to taste, and I, I actually have had a lot of them before and have some in my cellar, but that's okay. Send more wine, Michael. Okay, yeah. I'm sure you'll try them again. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, so we're having the Louis Martini, we're having the Cabernet Sauvignon, which is, I guess, kind of your flagship. That's the one everybody sees in the stores, and probably they're most familiar with the name from that. So tell us a little bit about this wine and what's special about it. Well, uh, you know, I try very hard to, I'm certainly not trying to craft the same wines that any of the other martini gentlemen made. But like I said, being connected to the story allows a source of inspiration. And so the bulk of this blend, the Cabernet, is sourced from mountain uh, vineyards uh, up in Pope and Childs Valley, not necessarily hillside, but at elevation, because the, the family always had this attraction and connection to mountain vineyards. I know we're gonna talk about Monterosso. You mentioned it a bit ago. That was in 38, five years after he built the winery that Louis M purchased Monterosso. And so this connection to mountain vineyards is important and it's really the core of this wine. In addition to some non-traditional blenders, I use a, a pretty hefty dose of Petit Syrah. There's 11% in this 2017 that we're tasting today. And other than that, it's very classic winemaking. I, I think of our style, our house style is classic California. 
certainly not old world, but not super modern, gooey, unctuous style. Yeah, I know you mentioned Petite Sera. I know that that was a grape that uh, Andrei Chelichev talked about all the time. Uh, when he was at Trefethen, talked about Petite Sera and uh, the rebirth of it at that time. And people were starting to really recognize it, not only as a blending grape, but uh, just on its own. It's a California classic. It absolutely is. It's a very powerful grape, uh, as you know, a lot of tannin, a lot of dark color and dark fruit. I think if you could fault, you know, no variety is necessarily perfect, but if you could fault Petite Sera, it's that it's not always terribly complex, which is yeah. why for me, it's such a valuable blending grape because it brings that darkness, that density in the mid palate, some of that structure, but you have Cabernet, which is naturally a bit more uh, complex as a base. It's just a great combination. Yeah, well, Petite Syrah is kind of like that relative you always have at the dinner table. You know, they don't know how to be diplomatic. They just kind of right. tell it like it is and uh -huh. people stuff. And, you know, that's when the family fight starts. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, you sent me another one that I'm still kind of working on. And it's this, um, I was going to save it for last, but I want to talk about it. Howl Mountain, because that's kind of a famous appellation. And you really conquered this one. Tell me about everything that went into this wine and, and, and the profile of it. Yeah, so this is part of a, a new collection of wines, a new tier for us called our Crown Collection, um, where we are really highlighting either single vineyards or single AVAs. And, and quite frankly, some of the individual wines, lots of wines that might go into our uh, lot one, which is the wine we mentioned earlier, got 100 points in, in the 2013 vintage. And so we've been using Howell Mountain for a number of years as a potential for the lot one program. And in fact, that wine you mentioned that got 100 points had some Howell Mountain. And one of the vineyards that's in this wine we're tasting today was in fact in that 2013 lot one. Um, but it's a, a, a viticultural area, an AVA, that I am particularly fond of because it is so so distinct. I think you can argue it's the most distinct area within Napa Valley and just displays this extraordinarily dark fruit profile, almost leaning towards blue, blueberries, um, but also the, the herbal tone, which is very typical of Cabernet Sauvignon, is distinct because to me it, it in Howell Mountain it often showcases as kind of a conifer, like a pine needle, almost resiny herbal tone that I think is kind of foresty. Eucalyptus. Um, what's that? Eucalyptus, which yeah. is very into we'll that. Um, but I think what's most notable about Howell Mountain is the structure. Uh, these wines are big, broad, and chewy. We're tasting the 2017, which is it wasn't a particularly muscular vintage, but even with that, you can taste just the depth, the breadth, and the power in the wine. Well, you've got some big guns to shoot, and we're going to come to uh, one of the biggest ones in just a moment. So stick with us. Dwight Casimir here on Dwight's Wine with Michael Eddy, winemaker at Louis M. Martini Winery in Napa Valley. We're going through a few of the wines, single vineyard wines from their great collection, great portfolio, louismartiniwinery.com. If you want to find out more about them, they're really interesting wines you should take advantage of. We'll be tasting another one in just a moment.
Welcome to Dwight's Wine. I'm Dwight Casimir. My guest is Michael Eddy, winemaker at Louis M. Martini Winery, Napa Valley. And uh, one of the most famous vineyards in Northern California is the Monte Rosso. Um, tell us about this. This was the founding vineyard, in fact, for Louis Martini. And it remains still today one of the most important. Tell me why. Well, you know, there are so many reasons, Dwight. Um, first of all, it's just a spectacular spot. Even if there weren't vines growing there, it's just a beautiful location. It sits about a thousand feet above uh, sea level, above the Sonoma Valley floor. And you can see on a clear day, the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. You can see a good portion of the Sonoma Valley floor, but it's named Monterosso, which means red mountain for these very iron rich soils. In fact, there are blocks out there that literally look like the infield of a baseball diamond. They're that brick red. Um, and that brick red imparts a really unique characteristics, particularly to red varieties. But you also have some very, very old vines. Um, we're talking specifically about Cabernet today, but we also make a Zinfandel off of vines that are 127 plus years old. Uh, so just a, a very special place in a lot of respects. And with Cabernet in particular, it creates a very, very classic wine with, with very firm acidity, lots of tannin, as you'd expect on a, a mountain site, um, and extraordinary complexity. Uh, earth tones, mineral, herbal, uh, fruit. It's just one of those wines that you can ponder and ages, you, you can imagine with that uh, acidity in its uh, backbone, ages absolutely amazingly. So really, amongst the top handful of vineyards that I've ever worked with in my career. Quite, quite an extraordinary spot. Wow. Well, you've got some great wines. Uh, I've had a chance to taste a few of them, and I've been to the winery many times. Um, tell us about some of the other uh, great single vineyard wines you have and about the characteristics of those vineyards. I don't think people are familiar with how varied uh, Napa Valley is. I mean, almost, uh, you know, you walk a few feet and the soil is different, the climate is different, you know, what they call the climat. It's, it's yes. different everywhere you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, we actually make 10 Cabernet Sauvignons now. Um, if you can't, and in fact, we make a rosé out of Cabernet. If you count that, then we actually make 11 different Cabernet Sauvignons. And part of the reason is that we have these extraordinary sites. Um, we've, I feel we have some really great history with Cabernet and a lot of expertise. And so it's really about showing different personalities and faces. We're going to taste the Cypress in a moment, I know. Uh, but this crown collection of Cabernet Sauvignons that I mentioned that we started also has the Monteroso, which we just spoke about. And then our most recent addition to that line is the Stagecoach, um, which is a more modern, but uh, I think equally as famous as Monteroso. Um, so really some, some outstanding sites. Well, I'm tasting this uh, Cypress this is a, an amazing wine. The Cypress Ranch Cabernet. And uh, tell us about the vintage there, because this is a big, powerful wine. Um, in fact, I'm going to go out and do some grilling in a moment. And I, I think this is, I've got some nice um, steaks, those big cowboy steaks with the uh, oh, nice. bone, you know. Yeah. One. I, got, I got some. I've been saving it just for this one. Well, I'm, I'm not exactly in the same vein, but I have a, a pork or a... Uh... A pot roast going. So oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be doing beef as well. It's an easy pairing, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, Cypress is interesting. And I, I really love tasting this alongside the Howell Mountain because Cypress Ranch is, Ranch is actually on the east side of Howell Mountain over in Pope Valley. Um, but boy, very different wine than the Howell Mountain. So on that side of the mountains, you get a rain shadow. So it's much more arid. 
there's less forest. It's uh, fairly rocky and protected from that coastal influence that you get coming up through Napa Valley. So very, very different site. And I use a little bit of Petit Verdot in this as well. Um, I would say this is one of the more juicy of the, probably the juiciest of the Crown Collection Cabernet Sauvignons. Uh, and to me, what really characterizes it is this boysenberry quality. It's, it's not quite a blackberry, but it's not a red berry either. It's kind of this intermediate, um, juicy boysenberry. And then that Petit Verdot just gives a little bump to the backbone, but also gives some of these uh, hints of floral notes, you know, purple uh, floral notes. Um, it, this was actually the first item, new item that we made for the Crown Collection. We released the first one in 2016 vintage. Um, and it's been very, very well received by our wine club members and, and tasting room. Both of these uh, last two wines we're tasting are exclusive to our wine club and tasting room. Yeah, well, let's talk about some of the other single vineyard wines. You have really a quite interesting portfolio. And I know you'll be sending them to me, so. Uh, yeah, 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 somebody will. I'm sure somebody will, yes. <laughs> but let, let's explore a little bit. Take, take us on a little trip through the vineyards. Well, um, we have our Sonoma County, and that's really our most broadly distributed highest volume item. And it, it, interestingly enough, as big a volume as, as that blend is, it's really rooted in two vineyards, one in the Dry Creek Valley and one in the Alexander Valley, the Fry Ranch and Borelli Creek vineyards. Um, and, and they're very, very different in character, but really complementary. And that's a very distinct wine because the reality is, is that a lot of people enjoy wine as more of a cocktail, certainly in the United States they do. Yeah. With the Sonoma County, what I'm trying to do is create something that has the power and, and density of Cabernet Sauvignon, but also has some softness around the edges and kind of a, a sweet approach roll fruit quality. It's not aged in barrels, it's aged all in tank. So that really preserves that primary fresh fruit character. Um, and then we move into uh, our Alexander Valley, which is much more structured, uh, really rustic. It's, it's made in a similar fashion to the Napa Valley that we first tasted. Uh, but of course, Alexander Valley is a very different climate, different soils. So you get some of the sage leaf herbal tones. You get this really rustic kind of rough around the edges structure. Um, and then we move into uh, a new wine for us, which is actually not quite yet re released, which is a reserve where I'm using some non-traditional blenders uh, with Cabernet Sauvignon. Then we move into the Crown Collection. And then at the pinnacle, of course, is the Lot One Cabernet that we spoke about earlier. You know, one of the things I've been fascinated about in talking to winemakers is the use of the natural yeast in the creation of the wine. I wonder if you might talk about the, the use of that and the difference it makes. Well, you know, it's, it's debated. Um, the reality is, is that if you do, if you study what actually ferments the juice, if you don't add yeast, what happens is most wineries have a population of yeast all over the place, regardless of cleaning and sanitation. It exists on, in the tanks and valves and hoses. Um, and so what you get is an inoculation from the winery, but it's a very small inoculation. In my opinion, with reds, it has less of an impact on the style of the wine. With whites, which are a little more transparent, it can actually make a big difference, especially when you're talking about aromatic whites, such as Sauvignon Blanc, uh, which I do make a, a Napa Valley Sauvignon Blanc for our tasting room and wine club. And there, I think you really, yeast selection and whether or not you inoculate starts to have a very big impact. 
With reds, there's so much going on, especially Cabernet Sauvignon, that the subtle differences in my mind can get a little bit overshadowed by the, the fruit uh, and the wine itself and the oak. See, Michael, I knew you were going to get an ad in there to make me join the wine club. <laughs> I, I knew. I'll do my best. Got it I'll up your best. sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> Dwight Casimir here. Thanks to my guest, Michael Eddy, winemaker at Louis M. Martini Winery, Napa Valley, one of the historic wineries in Napa Valley, one of the oldest, actually. Famous for Cabernet, but now I'm learning the, they got a nice Sauvignon Blanc that uh, I guess I'm going to have to buy it. Okay. All right. <laughs> Michael, I, you know, twist your arm. We're I cool. know. We're cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I hope you'll have a chance to enjoy these great wines yourself on your own. You'll find them at wine shop stores everywhere. The name Louis Martini is famous. And if you don't find anything you like, just visit louismartini.com. See the full portfolio. You get some real surprises there and uh, quite pleasant ones. So give it all a try. Michael Eddy, thanks so much for visiting me at Dwight's Wine. And uh, I'm going to come up there and you're going to give me a full tour. And uh, OK, you'll buy me lunch. I know <laughs> I, the tour for sure. And I'm sure we can arrange something for lunch as well. <laughs> Anytime you just it, it was just, just a salami sandwich in the back. Yeah. Of OK, we'll sit, in the park that, we'll sit in the park that's right behind me and, and uh, chat about wine. It sounds great. Oh, OK, that'll be good. I like that. All right. Thanks so much. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you. You too.